you're listening to audio from Mountain View Church located in Murphy, North Carolina. If you'd like more information, you can find us at www.mtnvu.org or on Instagram and Facebook, Mountain View Church NC. It's good to see all of you this morning. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Mountain View, and uh, I know we do have some guests with us this morning, so if this is your first time, um, a very warm welcome to you. We are incredibly glad you've chosen to worship with us today. And I hope uh, everything that's said, sung, and done here today is a real encouragement to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I want to make you aware of something this morning that I hope you'll help me with. Today is our middle daughter Lydia's 14th birthday. Now, she gave me permission to let you know that. (laughs) She did not, however, give me permission to sing happy birthday to her right here and right now. So I'm going to respect that. When you see her, just wish her happy birthday. We are in the book of Habakkuk this morning. We began a series last week, which will take us the next several weeks to complete. So I invite you to turn to chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 2 through 4 this morning. Before we read our text, I want to try to set up the context for you so that you and I can feel the weight of Habakkuk's words when we read them. Just put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Habakkuk had seen God do incredible things in his lifetime, unforgettable things, really. He had witnessed something of a national revival in the land of Judah under the faithful leadership of King Josiah. At age 26, Josiah had commissioned workers to make repairs on the temple in Jerusalem. At the time, that once magnificent building constructed by Solomon and inhabited by the very presence of God had become something of a symbol of Judah's national decline. While the repairs were being made, Hilkiah the high priest discovered a scroll, what many people today believe was the book of Deuteronomy. Now, before we go any further, let that one fact sink into your soul for just a moment. The word of God to the people of God had been neglected, shelved, lost, and forgotten at some point in Israel's past. And not just among the people, but among their spiritual leaders. Eventually, the scroll that Hilkiah found made its way to King Josiah, who had it read aloud. And when he heard the words of the scroll, the text tells us that he tore his clothes, which was a sign of visible sorrow, and realizing just how far 
the people of God had fallen, he set about instituting all kinds of reforms in the land. He tore down all the shrines to foreign false gods that the kings before him had erected. He did that throughout the land, by the way, from top to bottom. He did away with idol worship in all of its forms and with those leading the people to worship idols. Among other things, he even issued an edict that all the people should observe the Passover. Why? Because the official observance of the Passover had been neglected for the entire period of the kings. It had not been observed in this way by God's people since the time of the judges. It is said of Josiah that no king before him or after him repented before the Lord as he did with his whole heart. But the good times didn't last. Josiah died in battle at the hands of Pharaoh Necho of Egypt. The people of Judah anointed his son Jehoahaz in Josiah's place, but that wasn't to last either once Pharaoh Necho got involved in Judah's politics. He removed Jehoahaz, carted him off to Egypt, where he eventually died, and installed as king of Judah another one of Josiah's sons, whom he renamed Jehoiakim in the process. You got it? Right. But Jehoiakim was nothing more than a puppet. And he had more in common with the majority of the kings that had come before him than he did with his good father, Josiah. Under his leadership, things slid further and further into drastic decline. So much so that the prophets of God who dared warn of coming judgment were hunted down and were shouted down by administration-approved prophets who put forward carefully crafted, feel-good messages that reassured everyone that everything was going to be just fine. We don't have to imagine how the prophet Habakkuk felt about all of this, by the way. We have his prayer journal in front of us. The honest words of a godly man at the end of his rope with anguish over the ungodly things going on among God's people during the reign of King Jehoiakim. Honest words that provide us with permission to bring our own pain to God. Honest words that point us ultimately to our great high priest who took up our pain and made it 
his own. In Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, the prophet pens these words. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Father, bless these words. May we not only hear them this morning. May they sink into our souls. And may they see May we see them ultimately as an invitation to bring our own deep anguish and questions to you in and through Jesus Christ our Lord in whose name we pray, amen. So in the prophet's protest in these three verses, you and I first of all find permission to come to God with our pain. Notice that Habakkuk addresses God by name. When in our Bibles we read the word Lord in all capital letters, it signifies that here we find God's covenant name, Yahweh. Now this is incredibly significant. It means, first of all, that Habakkuk knows the God he's addressing. The same God who revealed himself to Moses as compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The same God who forgives iniquity and sin, but who made it very clear to Moses that he would not leave the guilty unpunished. It means, second of all, that Habakkuk asks the questions he asks both how long and why, precisely because he knows the God he's addressing. He asks God, first of all, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? How long shall I cry to you violence and you will not save? Because Habakkuk knows that God has answered the cries of his people for help in the past. That he is the kind of God who does so precisely because he delights in coming to the aid of those who cannot help themselves. He asks God, why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you sit idly by and just look on at all of this iniquity? Because he knows that God has addressed the sin among his people in the past. That he is just the kind of God who does so precisely because he is just. You and I must not lose sight of this fact. 
The kind of praying that we find Habakkuk engaged in in these three verses, at the very outset of his prayer journal, is a demonstration of the faith he has in the God that he calls upon. You don't ask God why he isn't acting to address wrong unless you believe God loves the good, hates the wrong, and can actually do something about it. At the same time, Habakkuk's anguished questions represent the very real struggle of faith. The struggle to understand why a good God responds to sin and suffering the way that he does at times. With what seems to us like silence and inaction. Here's the thing I want you to see, though, and and this is an essential point on our Habakkuk journey. What does Habakkuk do with his deep, heartfelt anguish over God's seeming silence and inaction? Does he talk about God behind God's back like some wounded friend who can't believe he's being treated so poorly by someone that he thought actually cared about him? No. That is, however, what the wandering Israelites did during their 40-year stint in the wilderness. They grumbled to Moses about the lack of care that they believed God was showing them. Not once did they ever actually go to God with their troubles, which is exactly what Habakkuk does. Why? Because Habakkuk has a genuine relationship with a good God who sometimes acts in ways that confuse tiny little creatures like you and me. Even though all of God's ways are always consistent with his revealed character, God's ways are oftentimes beyond our ability to comprehend because we are not God. By the way, this is free. This is just one way you and I can know that we are in relationship with the true and living God. If the God you worship and trust never does things that confuse you or confound you or leave you asking as many questions as you have answers, there's a decent chance that the God that you worship and trust is only a projection of your own wants, your own desires, and your own beliefs. 
Habakkuk's anguished questions tell us that Habakkuk was willing to stay engaged with God even when he didn't understand the things that God was doing. You see, so many people, especially in our age of deconstruction, bail out on God when they encounter things about God that they don't understand or things about the ways in which God deals with stuff going on in the world in ways they don't agree with. That wasn't Habakkuk. Habakkuk stayed engaged and his questions are an invitation to us to do the same. Sooner or later, you will encounter something that throws you for an unexpected loop. Something that sends you spiraling, an unexpected job loss, an unexpected medical diagnosis, an unexpected phone call, an unexpected conversation, an unexpected financial loss, a prolonged season of physical suffering, a prolonged season of relational distance, a prolonged season of setback after setback after setback. Something. The question is, how will you respond when that unexpected pain comes crash landing into your life? Or when that prolonged pain puts down roots in your neighborhood and flat refuses to leave? You and I can attempt to deny and dismiss it. And truth be told, pious people who want to appear super spiritual are often pretty good at that. We can paste on plastic smiles with the best of them, pretending that all is well with us when in actual fact we are coming apart at the seams on the inside. Or we can paper over the pain with just the right religious jargon. We say things like, God's got this. Or other people have it way worse than I do. Or God's got some lesson for me to learn in this. But deep down, there are times when we don't believe a word of it. Meanwhile, scriptures like Habakkuk's, like verses two through four, of Habakkuk chapter one are simply there. Inviting all of us to acknowledge our anguish before our heavenly father. To own up to the ways that we're hurting to the confusion we're feeling and the questions that we have, how long, oh Lord? Why is this happening? 
Where are you, God? Why haven't you intervened yet? You and I can also attempt to distract ourselves. And truth be told, we might just be more creative at doing that than we are at denying the pain. We buy things to feel better. We binge watch Netflix to feel better. We go on trips to feel better. We eat to feel better. We smoke to feel better. We drink to feel better. We pop pills to feel better. Anything to take our attention off the hopelessness that sits just below our skin. Deep down, we know the hurt is there. But we don't want to deal with it. After all, if we ignore it long enough, it might just go away. That's worked for so many people so many times, hasn't it? Meanwhile, the scriptures are ever inviting us to be open and honest and forthright about our anguish before our Heavenly Father, to own up to the pain in our souls, to the confusion we're feeling and the questions that we have. How long, O oh Lord, why is this happening? Where are you, God? Why haven't you intervened yet? Still, you and I worry that we'll be rejected. We worry that God has bigger problems to deal with. We don't want to appear weak. We don't want to admit that we have much less control over our lives than we think we do. Here's the liberating news of these three verses. Habakkuk's questions also tell us that God was willing to entertain Habakkuk's frustrations. Precisely because God knew that Habakkuk did not understand what appeared to him to be inaction on the part of God. Talk about a compassionate, gracious, patient, loving, and faithful God. What God would actually inspire the very words of protest directed at him by a deeply distressed prophet torn apart on the inside by God's seeming silence and inaction. A God who knows that his wisdom and his ways are often light years beyond his people's understanding. A God who then cares enough about his people to give them words to talk with him about their lack of understanding. Does anyone else find that as mind-blowing 
as I do. As Christians, we do not have to deny our suffering. We don't have to hide from it or hide it from God or hide it from one another for that matter. We don't have to pretend it doesn't exist. We don't have to pretend it isn't significant. We don't have to put a brave face on. We don't have to use all of the stuff of earth to numb ourselves against the pain as if those things could actually give us the comfort that ultimately only God can provide. No, God has given us the wonderful spirit-inspired gift of the language of lament. And in the language of lament, you and I have this warm welcome, this divine invitation from God to bring our whole hearts into his presence, pain and all. There, as we ask the questions he gives us in his word. How long, O Lord? Why is this happening? Where are you, God? Why haven't you intervened yet? We discover a father who is prepared to listen, who is prepared to embrace us, who is prepared to give us To be sure, he may not give us all the answers to all our questions or answer all of our questions in all of the ways that we would like, but we can be sure that our anguish is always welcome. Not only do Habakkuk's questions give us permission to bring them, Habakkuk's protest ultimately points us to the one who took up our pain and made it his own. When you think about Jesus, what kind of person do you picture? Do you picture a person distant from and unaffected by the sin and suffering of others. A robotic sort of man. Unemotionless. Unengaged. Unable to connect with or understand the everyday struggles of ordinary folk, much less the deep anguish of soul that sometimes accompanies those seeking to live by faith in a good work, good God in a fallen world. Or do you picture the man of Isaiah 53.3? He was despised 
and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. What about the man of Hebrews 5, 7 through 8? In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. To him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Or the man of Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 to 39. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Or the man of Matthew 27, 46, who cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken? In his darkest hour, the Lord Jesus took up the anguish of the ancient songwriter to express his own sense of the felt absence of God. Taking King David's words in Psalm 22 as his own, the one greater than Habakkuk, cried out in search of his father. Suspended between heaven and earth on a Roman cross and surrounded by evildoers on every side. The world's only truly innocent man who had been convicted of blasphemy only hours earlier by a kangaroo court cried out in utter agony as he bore the weight of the sin of the world upon his shoulders. Father, where are you? And do you know what he got in that moment? Only silence. Well, you see, Habakkuk only felt like God was unconcerned about the things going on around him. To him, it seemed as if God had abandoned his people, his promises, and his word. 
But as we'll see in coming weeks, that just wasn't true. In spite of Habakkuk's felt sense of the absence of God, God was working in Habakkuk's day. For Jesus, that felt that felt sense of absence represented in his Godward plea was not just a felt sense of absence. He was truly all alone. Having willingly taken upon himself the curse of sin, he experienced Adam and Eve's exile. He experienced Israel's exile. He experienced our exile. He experienced the absence of the Father's presence. He was all alone. But make no mistake about it. His question from the cross was no indication that he lacked faith in his father. The Lord Jesus remained engaged with his father in the midst of the most profound pain and loneliness any human being has ever known. When he raised his voice to the heavens in search of his father and he got no reply, he didn't bail on God. He didn't give God the silent treatment or slander his father to those watching him die. He stayed engaged. He poured out his soul to his God. He remained faithful in the midst of his suffering. He most certainly did not deny his pain, nor did he attempt to numb himself from it. Instead, as the sky darkened and the light of his father's face was hidden from view because of the sin that he bore, he continued to trust and to obey. And because he remained faithful in the midst of God's absence, you and I, if we are in Christ, we never, ever, ever have to worry about our own anguish going unseen by our Father. Though, he, though you and I will certainly experience the felt absence of the presence of God in the midst of our own pain at times, we don't ever have to worry about being truly abandoned by God. Jesus experienced God's absence and God's silence in response to his searching question so that you and I can experience the truth of the promise that we will never be forsaken. Sure, like Habakkuk, 
We'll have our own questions for God when unexpected or prolonged pain sets up shop in our lives or when evil seems to be getting the upper hand in the world around us. But because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we are assured that God really does love us. We are assured that God is always working things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we are assured that God really does have the ability to bring the very best thing out of the most dark time. If God can bring about salvation through the death of his son, then he can most certainly bring about good for us even when we don't have a clue what he's doing. Even when it feels like he's left us high and dry. Even when it feels to us like we cannot possibly bear up underneath the weight of this anguish for another day. Even when our agony feels pointless and purposeless. Even when the darkness closes in around us and we feel like there's no hope. Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century Baptist pastor who struggled with depression for much of his adult life and ministry, penned these words. In our hours of bodily pain and mental anguish, we find ourselves as naturally driven to prayer as the wreck is driven upon the shore by the waves. The fox runs to its hole for protection. The bird flies to the wood for shelter. And even so, the tried believer hastens to the mercy seat for safety. Heaven's great harbor of refuge is all prayer. Thousands of weather-beaten vessels have found a haven there. And the moment a storm comes on, it is wise for us to make there with full sail. End quote. May this be as true of us in our pain and anguish as it was of the Lord Jesus. May we see in his question our invitation to bring our agony, our confusion, our questions before the throne of grace and discover there his sympathy, his understanding, his mercy, and his grace to help us in our time of need. We can trust him with our questions, by the way. 
precisely because he's been there. May his willingness to stay engaged with his father in the midst of his own suffering, on our behalf, give you and I courage to stay engaged with him when his ways make no sense to us. In the end, brothers and sisters, we have not only the promise that we will be received when we come to him with our struggles and our doubts and our questions, we have his word that all of our present sorrow will one day soon be transformed into overwhelming joy. Listen to these words from Jesus in John chapter 16, verses 20 through 22. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. What a promise. I feel that in my bones this morning. I long for that day. I'm sure many of you do too. You know, Jesus' own anguish wasn't the end of his story. And because of that, it won't be the end of ours either. Remember the passage from Hebrews chapter 5 that I read earlier. According to the author of Hebrews, the loud cries of Jesus were in fact heard. His father did not abandon him forever. Instead, he reached into a borrowed tomb early on a Sunday morning and he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And his resurrection is God's great answer to our questions. It's God's great consolation for our sorrow. God's great comfort in the middle of the night when we feel like the darkness in our souls will never lift. I am making all things new. The risen Christ now speaks into our anguish. I am making all things new. He now says in response to our how long, O oh Lord, question. 
I am making all things new. He now says in response to our God, what are you doing? Questions. Dear children, just a little while longer and it'll all make sense. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time and your word this morning. God, it is my deepest hope that every person in this room has a genuine relationship with you through your son, Jesus. The one who took upon himself the curse of sin, who died in our place, whose body occupied a borrowed tomb for three days, but who ultimately rose victorious over Satan, over sin, over hell, and over the grave. Father, so many people are genuinely hungry for real hope in a world gone wrong, the kind of world that Habakkuk saw all around him, the kind of world that many of us see all around us, all around us. the kind of word, world that causes all kinds of anxious anxiety in our own souls. And while we look everywhere but to God for hope, the Lord Jesus is calling out this morning, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. May we find permission in Habakkuk's questions, in his confusion, to bring our whole hearts to the Lord this morning and truly find that there is a rest unlike any other in his presence. It's in his name we pray and ask all these things. Amen. This morning as we...